Welcome to episode 13 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So today uh, we're going to pick up talking about writing, but today's uh, sort of uh, message or today's kind of one thing to think about applies equally well to public speaking situations as it does to writing situations. And uh, what I want to talk about today is basically word choice. And I want to start by talking about what a word is and then how you should um, how you should take that information or that knowledge about what a word is and apply it to choosing words carefully. When I first got to undergrad, um, I had an English professor and uh, whenever I handed in an essay, maybe like once every two or three lines, he would circle a word and put WC over it. And I've taken that habit too with my students, constantly putting WC to let the student know that I find their choice of a word in that particular moment or that particular position uh, somewhat questionable, or it raises questions when it need not. Um, And I want to explain why someone would put that. And that starts by uh, looking at what a word is. So A word is a special kind of sign. And a sign has, is made up of two parts, a signifier and a signified. And okay, so word, special kind of sign. Uh, Another version of a sign is uh, any kind of image. So uh, if you go to the bathroom at a restaurant and there's a little stick figure with a dress on it, that's also a sign, but it's not a word, it's a picture. Anyway, so a word is a special kind of sign. A sign is made up of a signifier and a signified. Here are what the two parts of a sign are. A signifier is the, refers to the marks of the word itself. So uh, different languages have different kinds of letters in English. um, Let's say we have the word dog. The signifier is the D-O-G. It's the, the marks on the page or the kind of organization of the, the lines in order to form a series of letters. Um, okay, so signifier are the marks on the page. The signified is the concept or idea being referred to by the marks on the page. So the letters, D-O-G, are the signifier. The signified is the four-legged furry creature that barks. Okay, I have a dog, his name is Louie. He's downstairs right now sitting, uh, lying down, taking a nap. The word dog is made up of both the signifier, the marks on the page, and the signified, the concept or the idea of a four-legged furry creature that barks. Now, here's the kicker. In if we ask ourselves, what's the relationship between the marks on the page and the concept or idea? What's the relationship between the signifier and the signified? How are those two related? Uh, my kids go to French school, so they speak French and they speak French a lot at home. Uh, and they speak 
now their their French is better than mine, so I can't understand all the time when they're when they're talking to one another or to me. So they'll insult me in French and uh, or say something mean in French, so that they think that I don't understand. Um, and I don't. I don't really get it. Um, so if you take the word chien, which means dog in French, and you ask the same question, what's the relationship between the marks on the page, the C-H-I-E-N, or the D-O-G, and the concept dog or dogness? Um, and you begin to think about that in relationship to the fact that there are probably countless, hundreds of different words for dog in all the various languages on the planet. Um, there's in other words, there's hundreds of different ways of constructing a signifier, of putting the marks together to get to the signified dog. What that tells me and what we know in, um, in philosophy of language is that there is an arbitrary, an arbitrary connection between the signifier and the signified. There's nothing natural about the marks on the page that make up the word dog or chien and the thing, dog, the concept or the four of the four-legged furry creature. So there's no relationship between signifier and signified, other than the relationship that's formed within a system of signs, within a language. Okay, so the relationship between the signifier and the signified only makes sense, only is brought into relationship inside a system of other signs. In other words, all right. So there's no natural or, or definitive relationship between dog and concept of dogness. That relationship comes into being within inside a system of signs. Now, the next thing I often ask my student is, well, what does dog really mean? Not what does it signify? What's the signified of the marks on the page dog? I mean, what does it mean inside our particular language, inside our particular language game or our particular system of signs? And they have in a haw some because they don't want to talk about slang or casual um, kind of cultural meanings, but dog has a particular meaning in North American um, slang culture. It's a way of referring to a man usually, or a boy, um, in specific ways with specific connotations. So I asked them, you know, when I use the word dog, um, what does that make you think of? Like, how does that highlight specific features of the concept of dogness? And we get into a conversation about how quickly you can move from thinking about the concept of the four-legged furry creature to thinking about Snoop Doggy Dog, to thinking about men as dogs, uh, etc. That's called the chain of signification. It's a chain of associations that are made possible by the, the, the distance between the signifier and the signified. We need a chain of significations, a chain of other words to help fill in the meaning of the word that we choose to use because there's no natural or definitive relationship between signifier and signified. Okay, who cares? Why does all this matter? Why am I telling you some of this basics and philosophy of, of language? Whenever you choose to use a word, when you choose that word, you mean something by the word more than just the signified, in other words. If you choose to use a word, the word dog in a particular context, the meaning of that word is dependent on the system of signs within which the word is used, 
and the person's ability to make sense of that sign within a system of signs. That system of signs is governed by what are called chains of signification, or chains of association or identification, which one word is identified with some other things in order to help make sense of the meaning of that particular word. Um, okay, here's a simpler way of, the simplest possible way of looking at this is that every word has both a denotative and a connotative meaning. The denotative meaning is the signified. It's the, the concept that's trying to be captured by the signifier. But the connotative meaning is the chain of significations, the chain of associations that come along with that word that are a product of the fact that we need a system of signs to make sense of the signified. So anytime I use a word, it has a connotative and denotative meaning to it. It has the signified and also this additional chain of signification and possible associations that come with the system of science or the language game within which I'm, I'm working. Um, so the, one of the first lessons of the ancient sophists were the first teachers of rhetoric. And one of the, the first teachers of rhetoric taught the initial lesson was what was called on the correctness of names. And what the students had to do was explain the difference or make a distinction between two words that are relatively sim similar two synonyms. And so, for example, hard and difficult. What's the difference between hard and difficult? And they'd have to articulate a distinction. And the way you articulate that distinction is by thinking about both the connotative and the denotative slight differentiations. So hard has a different set of of both denotative and connotative meanings that are associated with it. And difficult has its own set. And so a master writer or a master speaker knows when to choose a word that has the right both connotative and denotative associations that come along with it. The denotative associations get, get at the clarity and precision of the writing. So I, I also, you know, I, we do a lot of like distinctions between synonyms in, in class. Um, so I might ask them, what's the difference between being happy and being joyful? And they, they have to give three sentences on that distinction. And the reason that we do that is that in their writing, if they want to convey something about being happy or being joyful, I want them to stop for a second and think what the exact right denotative word is that describes the state of, of upbeatness or mirthfulness or contentedness or happiness or joy, joyfulness, whatever, that I'm trying to get at. And then I want them to stop them to think and, and ask, well, when am I getting at that denotative meaning? What are the connotative associations that come along with this particular word? Um, joy, well, I, I don't wanna to get too far into some of these individual or specific words, but joy, has a different set of connotations that happy has, I think. Um, anyway, the, so they have to track both the denotative precise meaning of the word they've chosen, but also the connotative set of, set of associations that come along with it. And anytime you're choosing a word, you're, you have to take both of those consider, th both those things into, into consideration. 
Um, and change of, change of signification can be really, really funny, can get really funny really quickly or really weird really quickly. Um, it's very easy to in, use an inappropriate word because of the chain of associations that come with the connotation of that particular word, even though it might have the correct denotative meaning. Um, so you have to balance, oh, and I should rewind a second. In the last episode, I said that good writing is governed by, on the one hand, clarity and precision, on the other hand, beauty and eloquence. Well, when we're talking about word choice, good word choice is governed by those same values. The value of clarity and precision is about picking the word that has the exact denotative meaning that you're trying to convey. So picking the right signifier that matches up with the signified that you're after correctly. Uh, meaning the expectations of beauty and eloquence have to do with picking the word that has the right set of connotations, the right set of semantic associations or linguistic associations that are going to, to um, control the kinds of connotative meanings that what you're writing or, or saying has. Um, so the word choice is governed equally by uh, clarity and precision and, and beauty and eloquence. And there are a lot of errors can happen along the way. And the errors can happen, so what I'm trying to say is that the errors can happen in either one of two ways. The error can happen in terms of being inaccurate. So I think in the last episode, I may have used the example of a student using the word unsalted instead of insulted. Anyway, I got this student paper. They wrote uh, this position paper on uh, cartoons about the Prophet Muhammad. And the student wrote that the Arab world was unsalted. So unsalted has a denotative meaning. It means that there's no salt in a particular dish. That denotative meaning was completely off and wrong. But unsalted also has a series of connotations. When I think of unsalted, I mostly think about popcorn and movies and eating kind of salted versus unsalted popcorn. Uh, there's very other few thing, few, few foods I think of as being unsalted besides popcorn. So the set of associations I have with this, with the word unsalted, are, is it puts me in this kind of context or this kind of situation where I'm thinking about movies and eating popcorn and, and that kind of thing. Um, so that's the kind of, it, it makes it absurd. <laughs> it makes it kind of funny um, in, this, in this way. And that's how the connotative meaning can be distorted or, or uh, impacted by bad word choice. So, um, you know, at the, in the very first episode, I said, you know, we should be asking what effect have I had, not did you get it? So when we choose a word, we're choosing a word based on the clarity and precision of the denotative um, signified, but we're also choosing a word based on the kinds of connotations, the kind of affective results that come or that are embedded with that particular word. Joe Biden once famously gave this speech and he used the word rape to describe something that was totally unrelated to the denotative meaning of rape and people were upset. They got frustrated and angry. It's because the word rape has definitive connotations that you can't escape, that Biden couldn't escape. He, he meant it denotatively as to describe something, but the connotations were just really awful for people and they did not like that speech. It did not go over well. Um, so when we're choosing a word, we're choosing a word both for the, the, way it would, the way in which it denotatively captures the concept of the thing that we're after, but we're also choosing it uh, for the kinds of effects it produce, produces in terms of the chain of connotations and the chain of signification that, that are related to it. You see, the reason um, I, was at a, uh, I, was, I was at this kind of workshop in my university uh, a few months ago, and I sat at a table full of scientists and the workshop was on communication skills. 
and the scientists just wanted their students to write better um, better lab reports essentially they wanted better grammar um, they wanted the lab reports to be cleaner and more precise etc so the scientists at the table just thought well it's a matter of cleaning up their grammar and getting the denotative part of the writing process down clearly and i tried my hardest to get them to see that it wasn't really about that um, and i gave them the example of a famous watson and crick article which has this famous uh, this postulates the existence of dna and i said that that was written in a particular style to have a particular effect and they didn't really kind of get it they just sort of brushed me aside um, the point is that you will not you will never improve your writing or your speaking if you only think about getting the capturing the denotative signified concept correctly you will Im improve somewhat and it's very important to be clear and precise and there's many gains to be made by choosing words with the correct signified that capture the correct signified for you but it's only half the game the other half of the game is about choosing words that produce the right effects through the chain of signification and chain of associations and the reason i can't avoid that it's not possible for me to avoid that is that no word has only denotative content every word has denotative and connotative meaning because of the fact that there's no natural relationship between signifier and signified and in order to make sense of the relationship between signifier and signified i need to belong to a language game belong to a system of signs with other sets of associations and identifications in it that help me make sense of the relationship between the signifier and the signified. Only inside a system of signs does that relationship make sense. And if, in, if it's inside a system of signs, that means that word both represents the signified and has a chain of associations or significations that go along with it that help me make sense of that signified. So you can't escape the project of producing effects through chains of signification and you can't escape the project of trying your best and ultimately failing obviously to get the signified exactly right so you can't ever predict the chain of signification or the chain of associations that come with the use of a particular word so um, if I want to tell my son that the dog threw up I've got lots of choices for the word throw up I can say the dog puked the dog chucked the dog barfed, the dog hurled, the dog regurgitated, all of those. Now, some of those will make my kids laugh. Some of them will make them stop and say, what does that mean? Some of them will confuse them. Some of them will be straightforward scientific descriptions of what happened and they won't have any effect. The effect that's produced is likely because of the chain of signification or the ways in which my kids can make sense of the use of a word in relationship to a bunch of other words. So if I say, oh, look, the dog just chucked, they might laugh because they might think of the word, the set of associations that come with the word Chuck. And that set of associations may look one way to them and it may come with funny or humorous uh, content or funny or humorous associations in a way in which I might say the word, uh, oh, the dog just regurgitated and it wouldn't be funny at all to them. They might say, what does regurgitated mean? Because they've never heard that word. So it might be confusing. It might sound scientific to them. It might sound like something a doctor would use, which is not funny. So, um, I have to be careful both denotatively and connotatively in word choice. All right, so the lesson for today, the number one way, or I think the simplest way, the simplest way of improving your writing or your speaking is to go back and look at something you've written. Pick out a, key, a couple of key words that you think are important words and ask yourself, 
what's the exact denotative and connotative meaning of this particular word? And do, does the word do the work I want it to do? Does it capture exactly the signified that I'm trying to capture? And does it have exactly the right set of associations and connotations that I want for this particular audience on this particular occasion in this particular writing project? If you're not thinking any of those things through in your writing or your speaking, you're not going to be a very good writer or speaker. That's the, the, the bottom line. When you start thinking those things through, um, you're going to improve your writing and your speaking fairly quickly because at least you'll be cognizant of word choice. Uh, I used to I used to go out with this uh, woman that uh, was really concerned with clothes, uh, so we would go shopping together, and she'd literally take 20 pairs of jeans into the dressing room and try on all 20 pairs, and she'd ask me to the difference between the different pairs of jeans, and most of the time I couldn't tell. I, I have no idea. No idea what I'm looking for in terms of the distinction, but she could tell. She could make these fine distinctions between these different pairs of jeans, and I often thought while I was sitting there, well, if everyone did this with the words they chose to use, their communication skills would be a lot better. I mean, she looked great in jeans, terrific, wonderful, um, but imagine trying on di 20 different words in any given sentence to see if that word, that one word, does exactly the right thing and has exactly the right connotative set of, of meanings associated with it that you're trying to get on that particular occasion. Um, if we pit as much attention into a word choice as we do into genes choice sometimes, I think we'd uh, improve fairly quickly as as writers and as speakers. So uh, word choice matters and try to improve your, your word choice and you'll improve as a writer. Uh, so next week, I think we're going to talk about sentences. Um, and we talked about what a word is today. Next week, we'll have to talk about what a sentence is and how to improve your sentence writing. Uh, but that's it for this week. And I hope everybody, I hope to, to everybody's back next week. Thanks. Bye.